very much. Let's take God's Word together and turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 6 once again. And we started looking many, many weeks ago, many months ago, I think, at the armor of God, at this spiritual warfare. And you remember we had to back up and begin looking at the beginning of Ephesians. Long before we can ever begin standing against the wiles of the devil, we must learn to be seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then we learn to walk in Christ, walk in love, to walk not like we used to walk. And then we could begin looking at what it is to stand against the wiles of the devil. We began looking at the armor of God, and we've come now to the 18th verse. And this one verse is so full of instruction that it cannot be passed over quickly. So full of helpful tips and things that we as believers must learn if we're ever going to pray as we ought to pray. Some people stop their instruction of the armor of God with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's the last thing they say, the last piece of the armor or weaponry. But we find actually... There's one more thing found in verse 18 that is absolutely, positively necessary, girls. And that is prayer. You cannot be what you ought to be without prayer. And so we find in verse 18 several words of instruction. Look at it. Praying always, we looked at that one week, with all Prayer, we looked at that recently. All prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I want you to take those three words as a title of our sermon this morning, of our instruction from God's Word today. Praying in the Spirit. There's a lot of confusion in the world today about what it means to pray in the Spirit. Some would say praying in the Spirit means to pray in tongues. I don't believe that's true because we're told to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I've never met anyone who prays always in tongues. I know some people who think they pray in tongues, but they don't pray always in tongues. So this instruction to be praying always in the Spirit is not in reference to what language you pray in. It's in reference to what mentality and what spirit or control you pray in. Before we go any further, I'd like to just begin by saying the Christian life in its entirety cannot be lived except it be lived in the spirit. So praying is not the only thing that we're commanded to do in the spirit. We're told over and over in the New Testament, all through the word of God, that we are to live according to God in the Spirit. That's 1 Peter 4, verse 6. Live according to God in the Spirit. You can't live according to God unless you do it in the Spirit. Do you know why many of us live such failures as failures in the Christian life? Have you ever felt like you're just struggling over and over, failing again and again? You ever felt like you're just getting up and falling down again and again? It's because we're trying to live the Christian life in the flesh rather than in the spirit. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we, are, we purify our souls in obeying the truth 
through the Spirit. Our souls are purified. We obey the truth of God's Word only by the Spirit of God. Can't do it any other way. Some people think that if they just get their doctrine right, then everything else will be fine. Do you know that you can have the right doctrine and still not live in the Spirit? We're told that we worship God in the Spirit. Philippians 3, verse 3. We are the circumcision of heart that worship God in the Spirit. Jesus says God is a Spirit, and those that they that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. There are many people who, who are trying to worship God in truth only. They're trying to worship God with the right theology and the right doctrine, which is good, but they never acknowledge the existence of God's Spirit. And they never acknowledge the need of God's Spirit in their worship. And therefore, their worship is ineffective and incomplete. We're told as well in Galatians 5, verse 25, to live in the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. Let's be honest, there are many days I'm not walking in the Spirit. We're told in Romans chapter 8, that great chapter of victory for the, for the believer, it's a chapter that deals specifically with life living in the Spirit. There's now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're told over and over. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says, We speak by the Spirit of God, or at least we ought to. Romans 15 tells us that signs and wonders are done by the power of the Spirit. Can I say it again? You cannot live the Christian life without the Spirit of God. But we have allowed, we have allowed a particular corruption or misunderstanding of God's Spirit. We've allowed maybe an excess, an overemphasis on the power or the work of God's Spirit We've allowed that to make us afraid of even mentioning His name. Perhaps we've seen people who in the name of God's Spirit have done some very strange things. And we have let that or made that stop us from acknowledging the person of God's Spirit and the need of God's Spirit. And therefore, we go to church and you can go into a meeting like this and sing hymns and hear a sermon and never one time hear the name of the Spirit of God mentioned. The Spirit is God. We believe that. That's one of our cardinal doctrines in Orthodox Christianity. We believe that God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We're happy to talk about God the Father. We pray to Him. We're happy to talk about God the Son, our Savior. But we get a little nervous anytime somebody starts talking about the Spirit. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. There are many people who do not understand Jesus. There are many people who think that Jesus was just a prophet. Do we let that stop us from talking about Jesus? Of course not. There are many people who do not understand the Father. They have a wrong view of God the Father. Does that make us stop talking about Him just because they misunderstand Him? No. And so it should not be the case with the Spirit of God. You and I cannot be the Christian we were saved to be without Him. Jesus says, I go away so I can send unto you the Comforter who will abide with you. He'll never leave you. But some of us live our lives as if He's never come. We talk as if He's not even present. And therefore, I believe one of the key reasons we are living such weak and anemic Christian lives is because we do not even acknowledge the existence 
of the one who lives inside of us. And just as much as we cannot live without the Spirit of God, you cannot pray. You cannot pray appropriately without the Spirit of God. Oh, you can live your life without the Spirit of God, but you cannot live the Christian life without Him. And you can say your prayers without the Holy Spirit, but you cannot pray in the Spirit without Him. Have you ever wondered why your prayers don't seem to be answered? Have you ever wondered why it's so difficult to pray? Have you ever, ever wondered why you just don't really want to pray? I'll tell you why. Because most of our praying is done naturally in the flesh rather than in the spirit. And because our prayers are being prayed naturally in the flesh, they're accomplishing nothing, they're ineffective and because they're accomplishing nothing and they're ineffective, uh, both in what we pray for, but also, also in ourselves, because they're so ineffective, we lose hope and desire of prayer. James chapter 4 tells us this, and you, you may be tempted to think, well, if the Spirit lives in us, then every time we pray, we're praying in the Spirit. Wrong. Wrong. Every time you pray, you are not praying in the Spirit. Sorry. James says, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts or your desires? They, that war in your members, ye lust and you have not. Ye kill and desire to have and you cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. And, verse 3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. James is saying this, you're praying the wrong way. You're not praying in the Spirit of God. You're praying after your own desires, after your own passions. And I submit this morning that the majority of our prayers, unfortunately, it's true, I don't mean to step on your toes or offend you, but the majority of our prayers are just words. Just words. When's the last time you knew that you were being led and prompted by the Spirit of God and you knew that your prayers were not yours really at all, but God was leading you as you prayed? When's the last time you experienced that in your time of prayer? It is possible to pray in the Spirit. It is possible also, therefore, to pray out of the Spirit. You can pray ardently, fervently you can pray with zeal and vigor but if it's not praying in the spirit it's just the fire and agony of your own nature and it won't accomplish anything what a world of natural praying is found in Christianity today selfish self-willed self-centered and therefore vain or empty delusive, fruitless, and ineffective because it's done without the Spirit. Nothing more than an official prayer. Nothing more than a nice stately prayer that could be said at a, at a royal wedding. We've all heard those kinds of prayers, haven't we? 
They sound very posh and very well articulated, like somebody wrote it out and read it. But we knew they were just words. We've all heard that before, and we've all been guilty of doing the same. I've been in prayer meetings before, and I thought, what on earth is wrong with that person? That's not the way they talk. They put on this weird voice, and we thank you, dear Heavenly Father. That's not how they talk. I don't know where that came from. Or they say these strange combinations of phrases that all they've done, they've heard somebody else say those things, and so they put all those phrases together, sometimes in a different order. They're not really talking to God. They're just repeating what they've heard from somebody else. That's not prayer, my friend. I'm sorry. That's not prayer. Much of our prayer is just talking to one another or trying to impress each other. But there is a kind of prayer that we are commanded to pray. You find it here. You find it in the book of Jude as well. But we're told, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Do you think God accidentally put those three words in there? And because it makes you uncomfortable, you don't have to look at it? Do we get that privilege? Do we get that opportunity as Christians that if something makes us uncomfortable that we're allowed to skip over it? I'm afraid not, my friend. If it's in the Word of God, you've got to read it and acknowledge it and find out what it means. Jude, the last book before the the book of Revelation, tells us this, the very same thing in verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. It's an expectation that we pray. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. I believe that Romans chapter 8 sheds a lot of light on this matter of what it is to pray in the Holy Ghost or pray in the Spirit. Very simply put, if we could wrap it up in one one sentence or one one, uh, one expression, I would say that praying in the Holy Ghost simply means you're praying beneath His control and under His direction. I believe that's what it means. To pray in the Spirit means it is the Spirit of God that is leading you as you pray and enabling and empowering you as you pray. So therefore, your prayers are no longer really yours, but your prayers become His prayers. We find in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 is such a marvelous chapter that deals with the power of God's Spirit and the work of God's Spirit. Look at a few verses with me. Uh, the last verse of chapter Uh, Chapter 7, pardon me, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You ever felt like that? God, how am I ever going to get out of this? How am I ever going to be any different? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then we begin to have a a series of statements and instructions about who the Spirit is and what He does. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now the reason many of us are not free from the law of sin and death is because we're not following the Spirit of God. And the principle of the law of the Spirit is not being applied in our hearts and minds. We find as well in the same passage, verse 4, for the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Why am I not living the way that I should? Because I'm not walking after the Spirit. 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Can I just pause for a second? The single secret, the answer, the remedy for living the Christian life is found in the person of God's Spirit. And if you let some other strange teaching put you off, then you will never be able to live victoriously as you should. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Go on. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, there it is again, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Several things in here that talk about what it is to be under the leading and operation of God's Spirit. There's a mortifying of the flesh. There's a leading of the Spirit. The Spirit of God helps you to execute those sins that are causing you such trouble. The Spirit of God gives you, bears witness with your spirit, brings comfort. Verse 16 uh, verse 15 and 16, we've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. A friend was speaking recently about this truth, about how as a child of God, the spirit of God bears witness inside of us that we are indeed his child, even when we mess up, even when we sin, and we are therefore able to say, God, my father, you are my father. Although I've sinned, you're my father. And the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I want you to jump down to verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses. Would you look this way for a moment? How many of you today know that you have some weaknesses? Would you raise your hand? Do you know there's one answer to that weakness? Not the pastor. No, the pastor has enough of his own weaknesses. Not the elders or the deacons. One answer to your weakness. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. I love this thought. Paul says, we don't even know what to pray for and we don't know how to pray. As we ought. Now, that is a very interesting word, that word ought. That means as we should. All of us know we should pray. Every one of us today, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you know you should pray. Sometimes you don't know how to pray or what to pray. And the Bible says it's in those moments when we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, 
that the Spirit can help us. But the Spirit itself or Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints. Let's talk for a second. How do we pray in the Spirit? Number one, you pray in the Spirit, first of all, by acknowledging His existence. When's the last time at the very beginning of your prayer you prayed and said, God, we need your help. I need you. Spirit of God, I need you to lead me as I pray. Now, let's be honest. How many times have you knelt down to pray or you went about to pray and, and before you ever got one minute into your prayer, your mind was already a million miles away? You ever been there before? You started praying and then you were distracted. We, we, we sometimes, this happens to me all the time. I'll be praying about the Holiday Bible Club. And I'll say, Lord, please bless the children's club coming this week. And then I begin to think, have we got everything for the children's club? I wonder who's going to drive the minibuses. I wonder how many children are going to come. And must not forget about those children. They, they weren't there last week. And before you know it, I'm no longer praying. I'm not praying anymore. I'm just planning. Well, that's why we must pray. Spirit of God, help me as I pray. Arrest my mind and my thinking so that my attention is on you. If you don't acknowledge his existence, it's like having a, an electrician on the front row and all the lights go out and us trying feverishly to fix the lights and we don't have a clue what we're doing. Putting a red wire with a blue wire and, and messing everything up. When all we have to do is say, please, Mr. Electrician, could you help us? He's there. He's here. If you're a child of God, he lives inside of you. Some people get confused about this. They think that he's living somewhere far away and we've got to ask him to come and he's on a far journey to come, to come to us. No, he lives inside of you. He lives inside of you, but sometimes you ignore his existence. Nothing worse than living in a house with and ignoring that person. Have you ever been there before, husbands and wives? Have you ever been living in the same house and because you had a dispute or a problem, you didn't even acknowledge each other's existence? That's a miserable place to be. How much more miserable would it be for the Spirit of God. That's why we're told, grieve not the Spirit of God. Quench not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed until the day of redemption. You can resist the Spirit of God, the Bible says. He lives inside of you. Acknowledge Him. He cannot help you if you do not acknowledge Him. I can't help someone. I often say that to the students that come, the Bible college students that come and work with us on the weekend. I'll say sometimes to them at the very beginning of the term, I'll say, I'd be happy to try to help you. I don't have all the answers, but I'll be happy to help you. But I cannot help you if you don't want my help. Have you ever met somebody who doesn't want help? Who thinks that they're okay? That's the way most of us live in regards to God's Spirit. We think we don't need Him. We can live this Christian life ourselves. We've got it figured out. We've, we've got our daily routine figured out when we read and when we pray. and When we go to church, what days we go to church. And we do all of these things without the presence of God's Spirit, or without the acknowledging of His presence. And therefore we live such weak and ineffective lives. I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. If you hold your place there in Romans 8 and turn to 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says in verse number 9, As it is written, Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. We're told in, in another portion of Scripture in the Old Testament uh, that, that those things are prepared for those that wait on Him. 
Isaiah 64. Let me read it for you here just quickly. Isaiah chapter 64, Paul is quoting an Old Testament verse. In verse number 4, Since the beginning of the world, men, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. And Paul, he's not making a, a mistake by misquoting, he's joining together. You wait for those you love, don't you? So Paul says, for those that love him, Isaiah says, for those that wait upon him, because if you love him, you'll wait upon him, you'll wait for him, you'll wait for the Spirit to lead, you'll wait for his direction. You remember what Jesus told the twelve apostles in the book of Acts? Go to Jerusalem and tarry there until the promise of the Father be given. They didn't go out and preach one sermon. They did not go out and teach one Sunday school lesson. They did not go out and heal one blind man's eyes until the Spirit of God came. You say, well, He's already come and He lives inside of us. I understand that. But are you living beneath His operation? Sometimes it would do us good to wait until we know that He's leading us. Wait until we know that He's guiding us. Instead of just blazing through, pushing through, or pushing our way through. And that's really the next thought. Not just acknowledging His presence, but waiting on him. I never really understood it. I can remember a couple of years ago, a brother was with us. Some of you may remember we were having prayer meetings in that city bus. Uh, one brother donated a, a big city bus that we had on the field for quite some time, and that bus, all the seats were taken out. It was turned into a prayer room, turned into a crash at one time, but we used to have prayer meetings in that city bus. You may remember that. One early morning, I think it was probably an early 5.30 in the morning prayer meeting, something like that. Maybe not quite so early, but it was an early morning prayer meeting. And one man said, we are doing too much talking. We weren't talking, we were praying. He's saying, we are doing too much talking and not enough listening. I said, what? We came here to pray. What do you mean, listen? And there is something about waiting on God. Something about waiting on his leading. Sometimes we get nervous, don't we? We just start talking. We get that way with people. You meet somebody for the first time and you just start talking because you don't want that awkward silence. But sometimes that awkward silence is good, especially when you're trying to talk to God. Time when you can listen. Wait on him. It goes on in 1 Corinthians 2. These things that no one, none of us have seen, these things that none of us have even heard about, these things which none of us have even thought about that God has prepared for us. They're prepared for those that love Him and that wait on Him. You might be sat here this morning thinking, I have a very uneventful Christian life. I have a very boring Christian life. I don't have many experiences with God. I don't have many fuzzy feelings like people talk about. I have a very uneventful Christian life. It might be because you're not waiting on Him. Because you've gone on ahead of them. You've left them far behind. Paul goes on and he says this, But God hath revealed them unto us, those things that eye has never seen and ear has never heard and we've never imagined. God has revealed those marvelous things to us by His Spirit. Not by His pastor. Not by his YouTube channel, not by his theological book, by his spirit. 
The greatest teacher on earth is the Holy Spirit. I'm always encouraged when I meet somebody who says, look, I understand that men have been used of God to write many good books, and I love to read books myself, but I'm always encouraged when I meet somebody who says, I don't know this book enough yet. I want to read this book and let God teach me before I go to another man and let him teach me who may have it wrong. If you're familiar with commentaries, you, you can understand that you can come to a passage like this and open up five different commentaries by five different men and find five different explanations. And you end up more confused than when you began. But there is a teacher who's worth listening to. The Spirit of God who lives inside of you. When you forget your commentary at home, He's with you. When the internet goes out and you can't use Google, He's with you. God hath revealed them to us by His Spirit. Why? Look at this. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You want to know deep things of God? They're revealed to you one way. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Would you look here for a moment? There are some things in each one of us this morning that nobody knows but you. There are some things in your mind and in your heart, in the deep recesses of your heart that nobody else knows but you and God. But your spirit, your inner man is the only one that knows it. And so it is with God, it says. What man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man that is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. The Holy Ghost teacheth. The greatest teacher is the Holy Ghost. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the carnal man, the fleshly man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth or discerneth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now can I ask you, I've written in my Bible, two words after that last verse we have the mind of Christ I wrote do we do we you can only have the mind of Christ through the spirit of Christ we can only pray as we acknowledge his presence as we let him lead that's what Romans chapter 8 says we read it a moment ago speaks about his leading for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Do you let Him lead you as you pray? Do you let Him guide you as you pray? Or do you simply get your list out and read through it as quickly as you can? I'm not saying lists are bad. You've heard it said before, the habit of prayer is good, but the spirit of prayer is better. I think if you and I learn to pray in the Spirit, your life will change, this church will change, this city and this nation will change. All of our ineffectiveness is due to a disconnect between God and His Spirit. 
who is the supplier of all our needs and power. All our graces. is the supplier of all those things. He is the avenue through which all those things are given. You can't have them apart from the Spirit of God. Jesus understood that. How much more should we? I encourage you this morning, in closing, that the next time you go about to pray, that you begin with acknowledging your need of God's Spirit, and you begin to seek to listen and let Him lead you. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father in heaven, we acknowledge this morning our need of Thee. We acknowledge that You have given unto us Thy Spirit. And we give thanks that we were not saved and left here to try to live this life alone. That Thou hast begun to change us and hast given unto us Thy Spirit so that we can live the way we should live. Pray the way we should pray. Forgive us, Lord, for the multitude of prayers that have been offered up in the, in the flesh rather than being directed by Thy Spirit. Help us with this matter, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing our final hymn. Let me give you one last verse in closing. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 5, the Apostle Paul says this, he, therefore, that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Faith, by faith we pray.